Amen. It's over in the glory land. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 20. 1 Kings chapter number 20. I'll begin reading in verse 22. 1 Kings chapter number 20. When you, when you find that place, stand to your feet if you're able to for the reading of God's Word. 1 Kings chapter number 20. If you were to read the first 21 chapters, what you would find is that God's people have been invaded by the army of Syria. And the army has got more men and they've got more firepower. And God ends up giving them the victory up on the mountaintop. They learn that God is big enough to handle any enemy or any obstacle in their life. And here we're going to find in verse number 22 of 1 Kings chapter number 20, here we're going to find that after they won this battle, the enemy ain't going to stay gone for very long. Even though they've tucked tail and run, the enemy is going to come back. How many of you know this morning that whenever the enemy gets a good old buck woofing from God, they ain't going to stay gone for very long. If you win a victory today, the enemy is going to be scouting you out tomorrow or on down the road somewhere. Now look down here in the text with me, starting in verse 22, and we're going to watch the different tactics that the enemy uses against God's people. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter number 20, verse 22, And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go, Strengthen thyself, and mark, and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. He's going to come back. Verse 23, And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, Their gods are the gods of the hills. Therefore, they are stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain or the valley, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And they do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in their rooms. And the number, and and number thee an army, like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. And we will fight against them in the plain or the valley, and surely we shall... Be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice and did so. And it came to pass uh, at the return of the year that Benadad numbered the Syrians and went up, Aphek, to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went out against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them, watch it now, like two little flocks of kids. But the Syrians filled the country. And there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but He is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And they pitched one over against the other seven days. And it was so that in the seventh day the battle was joined, 
And the children of Israel slew of the Syrians an hundred thousand footmen in one day. But the rest fled to Aphek and to the city. And there a wall fell upon twenty and seven thousand of the men that were left. And Benedict fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. Here we find in our text that the Syrians are on a return trip. And they level an indictment against the Lord, saying that He is only God of the hills, that He's not God of the valleys. They said that your God, He's amazing and He can do great things and wonderful things up on the hills and up on the mountaintops. But if we can get them down into a low place, down into a valley, down into a dark place, a desolate place. If we can get them off the hills, get them down in the valley, they said that God ain't good enough. They said that God ain't God enough. They said that God is not powerful enough to get them through the valleys when they're walking way down low. They said that He's not real enough to help them through and whenever they come to fight against them. We find this charge that they level against God only just to be halfway right. Half of it is right. They said that He's God on the mountains. He's God on the hills. And that's absolutely correct. I'm glad that when things are going good in my life, I can chalk it up to the good hand of God. I'm glad I can say, and you mark it down, that God is good to His people. But I can also say this, that sometimes it seems that God might be too good for to His people for too long because then we start thinking it was us that got us up on that mountain. We started thinking that it was us who made us who we are, that, that we're just self-made Christians, that we put ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we forget the good hand of God. Every good thing in my life has come from the Lord. You say, preacher, I'm proud of where I am in my life. I've worked hard for what I have. Well, who gave you the breath to do that? Who gave you the mental capacity to do that? Who kept your heart pumping in your chest so that you can earn a dollar? The very breath in your lungs and the very beat in your heart are held in the hands of an almighty God. And every good thing in your life, you ought to give praise to God. You ought to look towards heaven and say, Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Amen. Amen. But the other half, the other half of the indictment against God is absolutely wrong. They said that He's not the God of the valleys. They said that He is God of the mountaintops, but He is not God down in the plain or down in the valley. They said that He's God up there, but He's not God down yonder. And they said that the things that He did up there, He cannot do down yonder. They said the victory that you got up there, He cannot give you victory down in the valley. And may I say here this morning that that part of the indictment is absolutely false, my friend. I'm here to tell you that I'm glad to report that He is the God of my mountaintops 
And He's also the God of my valleys. Hey, when everything's bottomed out and I ain't got two nickels to rub together, He's still God of my valley. Even whenever my health has may have left my body or I have to make an unfortunate trip to the hospital or to the morgue or to the funeral home, whenever all of hell just wants to camp out on my doorstep in a pub tent, whenever things are going wrong at the house and things are going wrong at the job and things are going wrong at the church, bless God, I know that He's still God in my valleys. He's still the altogether lovely one. He's still the Rose of Sharon. And He's still the Lily of the Valleys. He's still the Great Physician. And He's still the High Priest of Heaven. Hey, He's still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Just like He is on the mountaintops, He's still the same God in the valleys. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Amen. Amen. And some of y'all today... You can jump up and you can shout and you can praise God when you're on that mountaintop. But beloved, sometimes we can get down in the valley and we we just want to pooch your lip out and you just want to quit on God. You just want to quit on the things of God like God died yesterday or something. And you say, preacher, where is God in my valley? He's in the same place He was. When you were on that mountain. Oh yes. He's still on the throne. And He knows what's going on in your life right now. Number one this morning. I want you to notice that we find in our text. We see the pitiful army down in the valley. We see the pitiful army. They're down in the valley. I notice in verse 27, it says this, And the children of Israel were numbered and were all present and went against them. And the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids. Firstly, I notice the size of this pitiful army. They were like two little flocks of kids. They were like two little flocks of goats or sheep. Hey, ain't nobody scared of that. If we were to leave here this afternoon and you were to open up the door and you were to say, Hey preacher, there is a flock of sheep and a flock of goats outside. Preacher, grab your pistol. Throw the kids and the women in the back. we got to stay away from them. No, ain't nobody scared of no sheep. Ain't nobody scared of no goats. No, bless God, if there's a flock of lions, it ain't a flock. If there's a pride of lions, if there's, if there's something that's vicious out there, yes, uh, at that point you're going to say, preach and grab your gun. I'm going to say, no, I'm calling in the National Guard. I can't handle that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But nobody's scared of a flock of, a flock of sheep. But conversely, conversely, the Bible says that the enemies filled the country. You want to know what that looks like? Everywhere they look, there's an enemy, there's an enemy, there's an enemy, there's an enemy. And they're surrounded by all these enemies all around them. And here they are, they're just a little flock of goats or sheep. Have you ever been in a place in your life where everywhere you looked around, it looked like there was nothing but enemies staring at you, howling at you, hissing at you, growling at you. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with us here at University Baptist Church? Well, I see this army as a picture of the church. 
See, we are mighty in the Lord, but we are small in number. And just like those two little flocks of kids in the pasture, we're small in number. You know what that lets me know? The truth is that whenever the world drives by here on 501 and see all them cars lined up in the parking lot, they are thinking to themselves, what in the world is wrong with them that they want to meet in the house of God on the Lord's Day? Oh yes! Why are they in the house of God on the Lord's Day? In case you haven't watched the news lately, church, we are outnumbered. Never in my life, I mean, and I know my life is is short-lived. Never in my life I thought I would actually have to publicly, in person, defend that there's only one, two genders. Amen. 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 I never thought in my life that the so-called science of the world would deny science. And it would deny scriptures. It's one, two genders, not LGBTQ, LMNOP. There's two genders. Amen. Hey, hey, we're in the minority. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I never thought that I would witness just this nonchalant production of murder of babies in a mother's womb. I never thought I'd see that production of murder. I never thought that I would see how they're not only just trying to influence my children, but they're coming after children. They're coming after my children. They're coming after your children through the indoctrination, through the education system, through music, hello, through social media. I hit on some of that last week. I never thought that I would be in the minority. I remember growing up, hey, it was a good thing to be a Christian. It was a good thing to be a child of God. I never thought that all the hound dogs of hell would be unleashed on me for standing for the Word of God. I never thought I'd have to deal with that in my day. But guess what, beloved? Here we are. We are that pitiful army in size. But then I noticed, uh, I noticed as well the strength of the army. You say, preacher, here you are talking about us being a pitiful army. Where's the help? It's right here. I see the strength of the army. You realize that this army just got through whooping up on an army that was two and three times bigger than them? Oh, yes. Not once, but twice. Preacher, how did they get victory when they wasn't even the big guys? Because <laughs> they weren't leaning on their own strength. Oh, yes. They wasn't leaning on their own power and might. But it was by the power of the unseen hand of God that they were leaning on to get them through. Thank you, Brother Bob. I'm going to use this next one. Y'all remember those uh, five and dime stores? Don't you lie to me. Uh Amen. When I was growing up, we called it the Dollar Tree. (laughs) (laughs) I had to throw a little humor in there this morning. Kind of knock off that sharp edge of the preaching. Amen. Those five and nine stores. I remember hearing the story of a little boy. He walked into a five and nine store. And he walked in and he seen a bunch of gumballs up on the shelf. And he took the, he took he took his nickel. He said, Mister, I want those gumballs up there on that shelf. I just want one of them. The clerk looks at the little boy. He says, All right, son, he says, I'll make a deal with you. For that nickel you've got laid down on my counter, 
I'll make a deal with you, son. For that nickel, I'll give you a handful of gumballs. However many you can fit in a handful, I'll give it to you for a nickel. He says, all right, mister, I want to make sure I got this right. I'll give you this here nickel. This here nickel will be yours. If, 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 I, if I give it to you, you're going to let me get a handful of gumballs for a nickel. He said, that's right. He said, all right. And the boy leaves and the boy says, hey, son, where are you going? Hey, have you forgot your nickel? And the boy acted like he didn't hear him. Five minutes later, he comes and gets this guy. Big six foot four, six foot five man with big gargantuan hands. And he walks in. He said, Hey, mister. The clerk said, Hey, son, you left your nickel. He says, Oh, no, I'm coming back. He said, Now I want to make sure this is right, mister. You told me that if I give you this here nickel, I can get a handful of gumballs. He said, Yes, you can put a handful. That little boy looked up and said, Daddy! Give me a handful of them gumballs. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And his father reached down into the gumball. And he picked them up and he filled the little boy's pockets. And he, he stuck them in his front pockets and he stuck them in the back pockets. And, and that boy just, he, he, he had something left over. He stuck, he stuck them left, what was left in the little boy's hand. He said, preacher, what does that have to do with us this morning? Hey, when I can't get to where I want to get when I'm down in the valley, I say, Daddy! Help me! I need to get what I'm trying to get and I just can't get it without you. Amen. That boy had enough sense to go run and get daddy. Amen. How many of us have enough sense to go run and get daddy this morning? How many of us are going to have enough sense that as we walk through our valleys that we cannot rely on our own strength but we got to rely on the holy, majestic, and righteous hand of an almighty God, your heavenly Father. Amen. I, I want to show you. i got to move quickly now. Number two this morning. Number two this morning. Thank you, Brother Bubba, for the nickel. Uh, number two this morning. I see that there is a proving of the Almighty. There is a proving of the Almighty. I want you to look down in verse number 28. Look down in there where, where it says, Thus saith the Lord. Because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but He's not God of the valleys. Mm. God heard what the Syrians had to say. Oh yes. Oh yes. And I'm, I, I, can, I, can I be just, just, just like a Baptist preacher and just tell, tell it to you straight? That ticked God off. It made Him mad. Oh Yes. Y'all realize that God doesn't just hear what you and I say, but He also hears what the enemy has to say about you? Oh, yes. Hey, and He's your heavenly Father, and like a good Father, He's going to provide, and He's going to protect you. Oh, yes, He's going to prove that He's the Almighty. Oh, yes, friend. Oh, yes. My Bible says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. If you are blood washed and born again, daddy's going to fight that battle for you, friend. Amen. 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 The verse goes on to say in verse number 28, it says, Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude in thine hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. See, I notice in this text there's going to be, there's going to be a proving. There's going to be a proving in the text. You say, preacher, what's God going to prove? 
He's going to prove something wrong and he's going to prove something right. First, I see that he's going to prove the slander to be wrong. He's going to prove the slander to be wrong. You see, these folks have slandered the good name of God by saying that He ain't God down yonder. He's only God up on the mountaintops. And how does God prove people wrong today? He uses a pitiful army that ain't got no power, ain't got no strength in and of themselves, ain't got no ability. He uses our feebleness to highlight His power in a dark and lost world. Oh yes. Oh yes. Now don't miss this. Don't miss this. If you've missed everything I've said up to this point, don't miss this. Stop proving the slander of the enemy to be right. By every time that you get in a valley, you quit on God. Some of y'all have allowed the devil to slander your God and slander your Savior because every time you get in a valley, you just throw your hands up and you quit on God. Every time something happens, you just you just want to throw in the towel and quit church. Whenever it gets tough financially, you stop tithing and you act like God doesn't own the cattle on a thousand hills. You act like He don't own the hills themselves. You act like He don't even own the silver and gold. You act like that ain't His. And every time that something happens and you get down in a valley, you just put your lip out, you stop teaching Sunday school, you stop singing in the choir, you stop performing, you stop serving the Lord, you stop sending out gospel tracts, and what you're doing is you're telling the world that it was fake all along. You're telling the world that it wasn't real all along. You're telling them that you only like what God can give you, but you do not like God Himself. The best way to prove the enemy wrong the best way to prove the enemy wrong is whenever all of hell is breaking loose on your life. Man, you throw on that dress. Sir, you throw on that suit and tie. You come to the house of God. You get to worship Him. And you say, I don't care, devil, what you've tried to do with me. And I know I'm walking through a valley. And I know you're coming after me in every situation. And, and devil, I see what you're trying to do. But God is worthy to be praised. And you lift up your holy hands and you just praise the Lord for His goodness because He's God in the mountaintops just like He's God in the valley. And you stay committed to the things of God. And whenever you come on and you march your way into church and you make your way to church, you tell the world and the devil that God is bigger than your problems. Amen. Amen. And about that time, about that time the devil just smushes his face. He put, pushes, smushes his face over his hands and he's thinking, man, I thought I got him out of the choir. I thought I got him from showing up to Sunday school. I, I thought I kept him out of the house of God. I, 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 th I thought I had their shout stolen. I thought I had their peace of mind and the joy in the Lord gone. But here they are and, and they're worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord in front of their friends, in front of their enemies, in front of their God. And the devil just smushes his face because he's thrown everything that he can throw at you. Oh my, I'm reminded of, of a family up in Concord, North Carolina. I remember hearing about this young couple, they've been praying about having a baby. Praise God, they get the news. Twins. Oh yeah, twins. <laughs> now look what God can do, right? Amen. And I remember everything was looking fine. The reports were looking fine. And they had that baby. Then they had the other baby. And that church celebrated. 
Eight days later, they lost. Lost a baby. Mm. On day 11, lost both babies. Remember the pastor trying to love on them. And there was a lot of why gods. There was a bunch of why me, oh lords. That pastor's thumbing through his Bible, he's praying. And the pastor's giving them a bunch of I don't knows. But I remember hearing a story how that church really just reached out to them in that time of need. Whether it be by a card or a phone call. A word of encouragement. Showing up to their house, baking them a meal. Praying with them in their living room. Then the Sunday came. They came back to church. Got about halfway through. Mama in the back said, Preacher! Can I say something? Go ahead, sis. Here she comes up the aisle. Daddy coming in behind her. Preacher over here. Daddy over here. Sister right here. And she stands there. She says, I walked on the highest mountaintops. I've been through the lowest valleys. And God has never forsaken me. I will see my babies one day in heaven. I've been in the lowest of lows. And she said, I experience God in a deeper and intimate way in my valley. And it took my valley to get me to that place to where I could be in intimacy with God. Daddy comes in behind her, crying. Say, I'm right there with my wife. He said, y'all don't know this, but we was on the fringe of divorce. Devil tried to bust up our marriage. He said, God has brought us closer together and closer to Him and the Lord. He said, what happened? Preacher didn't even get to preaching. I mean, it, the Spirit just fell in there so thick. People just started coming down and shouting the victory. Baptist church, mind you, started shouting the victory. Amen. Amen. Started testifying about that. They had a testimony service. Popcorn testimony service. Everybody started giving God glory. He said, Preacher, what are you getting at? Number three, there's going to be a powerful ascendancy when you come out of your valley. Oh yes. Oh yes. You see, when they came out of their valley, they came out at the right season. The goal of the valleys that's in your life is not so that whenever you come out on the valley on the other side, you're worse than when you came in, but that you're better for it. Amen. It's so that you're there and when you come out of that valley, you're in a closer walk with God. That you have more power and unction and anointing in your life than you did before you walked through that valley. Hey, I'll be honest. Nobody likes to do it, but we need to learn to thank God for our valleys that we walk through. He said, preacher, that's hard, or, that's hard to do when you're down in it. You're right. But my Bible says He's the lily of the valleys, plural. He'll be there with you and every single one you go through. And I want to say this as a way of warning some people are doomed to repeat the same valley over and over and over in their life because they do not learn the lessons of God when they're going through the valley. I remember just as a 12-year-old boy, I played football for Thomas Jefferson Classical Academy. 
You think I got zeal now? You should have seen me then. I was 83 pounds full of grit, ready to fight anybody. Barely, I mean, barely this tall. Coach made me an outside linebacker. Amen. I'd hit anybody. I mean, I'd fall down, but hey, praise God, I'd hit him. Amen. But the problem was I kept getting hurt. <laughs> he said, Waters, stop trying to wrestle him. Lower the boom. Lower the boom. So I'm leaning with my head. I'm lowering the boom. He says, no. He says, you need to elevate and drop your hips. Guess what I did? I dropped my hips. I picked up and body slammed a guy 10 pounds heavier than me. Woo! I got up like Scrappy-Doo. Let me at him. Let me at him. I was feeling good about it. He said, that's it, Waters. Here it is. Do it right. Do it light. Do it, do it wrong. Do it long. Oh, yes. Hey, that stuck with me as a little seventh grade boy. And I remember times growing up in high school, in college, seminary. Look, you get to writing that doctoral thesis, you, you're going to want to skip a lot. But I got to think about Coach Helton saying, Waters, do it right, do it light. Do it wrong, do it long. You're going to have to go back and repeat it again and again and again until you do it right the first time. Beloved, may I say by way of application, when you're walking through that valley, don't lean on your own strength. That's doing it wrong. Lean on the Lord. Amen. Amen. That's doing it right. Hey, hey, he ain't got to make sense to you to lean on the Lord. It says, the Bible says, trust not in your own understanding. Amen. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense to lean on the Lord. But I'm here to tell you, I've walked through the lowest valleys myself. And every time I've gotten to the point now in my life, I have conditioned myself to just go ahead and say, all right, Lord. I, I, I'm not even going to try to put up a fight. God, you're going to walk me through this. And the more you relinquish that right to the Lord, the more you'll see victory in your life and your valley. Amen. Amen. I want to, I'm closing. I want to show you this last thought. We're done. I want to show you this last thought. We're done. I want you to, to notice verse number 29. Verse number 29. And they pitched one over against the other seven days. Seven days. Did you notice that God didn't give them victory in the valley on day number one? Oh no. God waited seven days for them to walk through that valley. He said, why seven, preacher? Because in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. Seven is the number of perfecting. And God perfects His people in the valley like He cannot do on the mountaintop. And there are some completions and there are some perfections that God is wanting to do. He's trying to do in your life right now in this moment. But He ain't going to give it to you on day one. You're going to have to walk a little while with Him. Oh yes. When God gets good and ready and He works whatever it is that He wants to work in you, He's going to perfect you. He's going to complete you. He's going to mold you. And whenever, he's, whenever He does that, on your powerful ascendancy out of the valley, you have now exercised your faith in a deeper level than it's ever been. When they got out of this valley, when they came out on the other side, the Bible lets us know that 100,000 of their enemies got wiped out and then 27,000 of their enemies had an entire wall fall on them. You remember that little flock of goats? Little flock of sheep? 
They realized they couldn't rely on their own strength. But God wiped out 127,000 of their enemies because they gave it to the Lord. How many of you this morning are saying in your heart, Preacher, if I could be honest, I just want to throw in the towel. I just want to wave the white flag of surrender. I want to give in to the devil. I want to give in and just make the pain stop. I've been there, beloved. I've been there. But I can tell you that God will see you through. Hey, don't give up now. Don't give up. You've come too far to look back. And God's too good that He won't see you through. Keep your head down. Trust in God. Keep walking through your valley. Because there's going to be a coming out party on the other side. Amen. And it comes when God knows that you're ready. But until then, you've got to trust God.